All right, fellas, you got some pictures up there. If you'll play those slides, I hope. By the way, how many of you remember the flood we had here in Nashville? Did you see this week that we're supposed to give them back money because they said that we, we took too much? How many of you saw that paperwork wasn't filled out right? I tell you what, as little help as Washington gave us for that flood, <laughs> I can't imagine they'd want anything back. Have you ever been anything like that? That's pretense. Look at the next picture. Now, how many of you been in a car wreck? Come on, anybody been in a car wreck? Yeah, there you go. That's no fun, is it? How about this one? Anybody had your house burned down? You know, one of the things that uh, I've noticed in life is Life can be pretty tough at times. Have you ever noticed that? You can come across some pretty difficult situations. There's a guy who uh, I was reading about this week. His name is Lefty, or Lofty Weissman. Lofty Weissman. He was a British surgeon, a soldier. He was a special Air Force service. He has a, an app. You got that picture of that app? There it is right there. You can get that. You got a smartphone? How many of you got a smartphone? How many got a dumb phone? Raise your hand. All right. Just thought I could, just trying to say. Smartphone, you can put that app on your smartphone and it tells you what you do if you're ever faced with some of those kind of situations. What happens when your house burns down? It, it tells you what happens when terrorists come, what you should do. A person comes in a public place with a gun. He has all kinds of stuff, even videos and stuff that you can get on your smartphone and kind of pay attention to it and shows you how do you react and how you're supposed to do stuff. Now, I thought that was pretty cool. And I, I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing this message. And you know what I basically came down to? People uh, need guidance in their life. Would you agree with that? Uh, we're faced with things that we don't know anything about. One of the amazing concepts to me that still kind of blows my mind, when my wife had breast cancer, all it takes is, is one phone call to turn your whole life upside down. And then you go talk to somebody you've never met and you put your complete confidence in somebody you don't know to make some of the hardest decisions you'll ever make. And you just hope you found the right person. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, thank God you don't. But that's what happens sometimes when you're faced with those kind of situations. You need guidance. Another word of saying that would be the word shepherding. We need to be shepherded. We need a shepherd. We need guidance to make it down the road of life. You know, there are so many times that we are faced with decisions it might be with your marriage. It could be with raising kids. It could be with your finances. Hey, bottom line is we have to figure out kind of the right course. And it'd be nice if we had somebody that could guide us. There's no doubt about that. I read a study this week from UK that revealed the average person makes 773,618 decisions in a lifetime. That means the typical adult makes 20 Seven judgments every day. We're faced to make 27, uh, 27 judgments. Now, if you uh, think about it, if each one of those decisions takes you nine minutes, 
That means you've got four hours lost to thinking about what's the right choice. What's the right decision to make? And, you know, one of the reasons I think it takes so long is because we're always afraid we're going to make the wrong choice. So we're faced with having to make difficult decisions all throughout life. Guidance is important. As human beings, we need all the help we can get. And when you read this passage that we're going to read today, you're going to find out that God says he is our shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And the Bible says that we're the sheep of his pasture. Now, Darwin wouldn't agree with that. He said we came from monkeys. But in the Bible, <laughs> God seems to compare us more to sheep than anything. Now, I'm not saying we come from sheep, but, you know, isn't it amazing that God chooses sheep as that particular animal that, that he compares us to? Now, I think that's pretty amazing. The Bible says in Psalm 100, verse 3, we are God's people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 77, 2 says, God, you lead your people like a flock. The Bible says in Psalm 79, 13, we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, we give thanks forever. Psalm 23, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. So the scripture compares us to sheep. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says that God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm and he carries them close to his heart and he gently leads those that are with young. Now one thing for sure, sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need guidance. You say, Pastor, why is that? Well, first of all, I think we could say that because sheep are stupid. I don't know a nice way to say that. And add to it stubborn. Stupid and stubborn is not a good combination. I'm just going to be real honest with you. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble when you're stupid and stubborn both. Would you agree with that? Now, when you talk about sheep, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever gone to the circus? Have you ever seen a trained sheep? <laughs> there may be a reason. <laughs> They're not the smartest animals. Of course not. You've seen trained apes. You've seen trained mice. But trained sheep, you'll never see it. They're too simple-minded. We're compared to sheep because sometimes sheep are dirty and wayward. I love that hymn we sing sometimes. Lord, prone to wander. That sounds like Phil. Every once in a while we wander, don't we? I also said they were dirty. You've never lived till you've seen the south end of a northbound herd. <laughs> if you ever go to Israel, that's one thing you, you'll notice there. If you ever go to Ireland, Scotland, places that have sheep, ooh, they're nasty. The white woolly is way turned into dark, nasty, wuck. It's horrible. You know, sheep never really ever take enough concern with bodily hygiene. They never take a shower. I'm just being honest. And if you get within 50 feet of them, you can tell they're there. They smell atrocious. 
They, are, they wander and they're dirty. Let me say this, they're defenseless. They're dependent. You know, if you ever study sheep, you'll find that their mouth can't close like a normal mouth. A normal animal can bite you. Sheep can't do that. They actually, when they bite, they pull the grass and then they kind of clip it with their teeth and they swallow it. They chew it a bit and they swallow it. They have really no way to run. Have you ever seen a sheep run? Come on, some of you have, they don't run like a horse or a dog. They got a, they got a weird gait to them. So when you look at sheep, they're defenseless. They're totally dependent. Uh, in the book, All the Places to Go and How Will You Know, uh, the author explains you don't see a sheep with a nickname for a sports team. Quoting from the book, there are the bears, the tigers, the diamondbacks, the wolverines, the badgers, the sharks, the eagles, the hawks, the bulls, the panthers, the bingles, the raptors, the bobcats, the broncos, the grizzlies. San Francisco sheep doesn't have a ring to it, does it? <laughs> Even though if there was ever going to be a team that had one like that, that would probably be the one. There's nothing threatening about sheep. I play for the sheep in San Francisco. <laughs> Run with that in your mind. <laughs> they're defenseless. They're dependent. By the way, they're susceptible to diseases. In fact, they will eat too much if you let them. Sometimes they'll eat and they'll, get, they'll fall to the ground and if there's an indentation, they'll They'll get stuck and their feet will go up and the gas in their stomach can kill them if a shepherd doesn't find them. They're dependent upon his shepherd. The Bible, uh, Matthew 23 says something like this. It says, thou anointest my head with oil. You ever wonder what that meant? The sheep have a, a way of putting their nose down into the grass and, the, and I know this is gross, but there's, Insects that will burrow up into their nostril and lay their eggs. And the born, the sheep, will, if you ever see them shaking their head and going crazy, it's because they've incubated those flies and those flies are driving those sheep crazy. Anointing their head was to anoint their nose and to let that oil run down so that the, it would be so slippery. A lot of times, uh, Shepherds would go into a field and he would pour oil down into the holes. The, I have to say this correctly, the asp holes. <laughs> Boy, you'd get yourself in trouble with that one. They would pour oil down the, the asp holes. That way that the serpent couldn't come up, it would slide back down because when they would eat, the snake would come up and bite them on the nose. They're dependent. They're defenseless. They're susceptible to all kinds of diseases, diseases. Listen to this. They're easily frightened and confused. You know, I read that it doesn't take much to scramble the simple mental yoke of a nervous sheep. They've even been known to plunge straight over a, a cliff following one after another. I, I read this story this week. A shepherd was eating breakfast outside the town of Garvis, uh, Turkey, 
when he was surprised to see a lone sheep jump off a nearby cliff and fall to its death. But what really stunned them was what the rest of the nearly 1,500 sheep of the herd followed his example. Every single sheep leaping off the same cliff. And when it was over, the local uh, Ashram uh, newspaper reported that 450 of the sheep perished in the billowy white pile. It was only 450 because they had jumped and the other ones that followed were hitting on their, their fleece and it was kind of bouncing them off and they were surviving. But they, they estimated that one shepherd lost $100,000. $100,000 when it's all this sheep died. By the way, the average salary in that particular town was $2,900 a year. That was monumental. So when the Bible talks about us being sheep, how many want to bet we need a shepherd? Would you agree with that? You got your Bibles ready to go? We're looking in John chapter 10. We're going to look at some very famous verses, and I want to kind of spend some time there with you this morning. We're talking about what child is this, and uh, Phil Martin in vernacular, hey, what is this guy? We're talking about Jesus Christ, and we're using John's I am statements to kind of figure out who Jesus is. Now, we're going to be looking in John chapter 10. Do you have your Bibles ready to go? Would you like to stand just for a second? Get the blood rearranged in your body for a second. Give you one last chance to wake up before I put you to sleep permanently. <laughs> look, at verse number, look at verse number 11. Jesus says, you got it? He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. All right, let's all read verse, verse number 11 together. You ready? I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now let me read a while. It says, For he that's a hireling, not a shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf cometh, and he leaves the sheep, and he flees, and the wolf catcheth them, and scatters the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he's a hireling, he cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known of mine. And the Father knoweth me. Even so I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. Now I want you to read verse 18 with me. Will you do it? It says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. All right, you can be seated. Thank you very much. By the way, if I haven't told you that, I appreciate you moving into the center section. I thought I'd tell you one more time. And I haven't had any tomatoes, oranges, or plums thrown at me. That's a good thing. All right. Now, let's, let's look up here just for a second. Let me talk to you. and Let me try to give you the background and the context because I think this is important. I don't think you're going to get this passage unless you let me kind of help you out. When Jesus was talking here, and we could go back and pick it up in John chapter 9, he's actually had a guy that's been excommunicated from the temple. He was a blind beggar, and Jesus heals this guy, and basically um, they didn't like Jesus doing it on the Sabbath, and they came to his parents, and they tried to basically kick his parents out of the temple and ended up that Jesus, the guy basically says, you guys can gripe and complain about this. All, all I know for sure is once I was blind, now I can see, and the guy that did this was a guy named Jesus. And with that, they kicked him out of the temple. Now, wouldn't that be a terrible reason to get kicked out of a church? Would you agree with that? 
because I used to be blind and now I see and the guy that healed me is Jesus and that's enough to get you kicked out. And that's what happens. Now, Jesus has that crowd of dudes together, these people that have kicked this guy out of the temple and he starts into John chapter 10. And if you remember where we've, where we've been, Jesus is talking to him and he says, verily, verily, verse one, that's truly, truly. He says, I am the door of the sheepfold. Now, we talk about shepherds and sheeps and doors and sheepfolds, and Jesus talks about all that stuff, and that just goes right over our heads. How many notice that? Sheep in the, in the day of Jesus was as common as a car in our day. If we went out into the parking lot, how many want to bet we're going to see some cars out there? You don't do anything without a car. Would you agree? Walking's not cool, at least very far. You got to have a car. And in the day of Jesus, sheep were everywhere. There was nothing, nothing big about seeing sheep. Now, Jesus, when he talks and when he gives illustrations, he gives illustrations with things that people know. If Jesus lived today, he'd probably talk about cars because that's, that's kind of what we know. But in that day, they knew something about sheep, okay? And so Jesus brings up his, this, this door to the sheepfold. Here's what the scoop was. When you got a bunch of sheep together, they're called a flock, okay? They take their flocks out. And if you go to Israel, one of the coolest things to do is to go to a place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Now, I know that probably 90% of it ain't right. 90% of it's phony baloney, and they're making money off of stupid tourists like me. But it's kind of cool to think about. When you go there, you can go out to the fields of Bethlehem and you can still to this day see shepherds with their flocks by night. It's really cool. You go out there and you drive along and you see all these sheep in the field and they got a guy that's walking with them and he's talking to them and he's crying out to them and those sheep follow him. Well, if you... In the days of the Bible, they would take their flocks out and they would graze. And if they were able to come back to town, they would bring them to a communal thing that's called a sheepfold. And basically, a sheepfold is a place where they had high walls that they'd build up with rocks and they had a door and they'd all bring their flocks in there and they would spend the night and they would hire a porter or a hireling. The Bible here talks about this hireling. And that was the guy that watched the sheep by night. And basically his job was pretty simple. Don't go to sleep. Don't let the wolves come in and eat up all the sheep. That's your main job. You're to stay up and stay alert and make sure wild animals don't decimate the flocks while we're asleep. The shepherd would go home, say howdy to the wife, get a, get a bite to eat, go to bed, come back early in the morning, and he would take them out to the pastures again. Jesus comes along and he says, he starts talking about sheepfolds. And by the way, there's all kinds of symbolic stuff here. It could be here talking about the nation of Israel. And the door there is talking about none other than Jesus because Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. A lot of times when you go out, if you couldn't bring your, your, your flocks at night back to the communal sheepfold, you would find caves. You would find indentations back into a cliff and they would build up the sides and they would bring their sheep in there and the sheep literally became the door to the sheepfold. So Jesus says, I am the door of the sheepfold. Now, when you get down to about verse number 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. 
Now, I don't have time to do all this with you. How many want to bet that there's so much sermon here it would take me a couple of weeks to preach all this? Jesus in the Bible is called three different kinds of things. He's called the good shepherd, John chapter 10. Are you with me? He's called the great shepherd over in 1 Peter. He's called the chief shepherd. By the way, as the good shepherd, Jesus is the one that lays down his life for his sheep. When the Bible refers to Jesus as the great shepherd, what makes Jesus great was when he laid his life down for the sheep, Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he came back to life and no other shepherd's ever done that. Would you agree? So Jesus is a great shepherd because he had resurrection power and he came up out of the grave. And then the Bible says that he's the chief shepherd. And what does that mean? That means that somewhere down the road that the chief shepherd, whose name is Jesus Christ, is going to come back for his sheep. And we're going to be collected and brought back to heaven. And we're going to be forever with the chief shepherd. Would that make sense? So you got a good shepherd, you got a great shepherd, and you got a chief shepherd. Now, this morning, we're going to talk to you about why Jesus Christ is a good shepherd. Okay? Okay? All right. Just seeing if you're still alive out there. Some of you say, I ain't participating because I don't know how to move my mouth when I sit in the center section. <laughs> I just thought I'd get you going. All right. Look at verse 14. You ready? You got verse 14 ready to go? Let's look and see what it says. Let's see what, why Jesus is such a good shepherd. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, notice this, and I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. Now, that's a great verse. And the reason that's a great verse is because Jesus is comparing himself to that porter, that hireling and basically, when he talks about that hireling, he's talking about a guy that's hired to watch the sheep when the shepherd goes to the house and goes to bed at night and gets a good night's rest. And he says, basically, a hireling flees when a wolf comes. He flees when a lion comes. He, he flees when a wild beast comes because he's not going to give his life for the sheep. What makes Jesus so incredible is he's a good shepherd because... He'll give his life for the, for the sheep. But in this verse, he says in verse 14, he says, and I know my sheep and I am known of mine. Now, let me just help you because uh, I've been to Ireland a couple of times. And by the way, that's a beautiful country. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's one of those places. They call it the Emerald Island. And it's just incredible. It's just incredibly beautiful. And I saw a lot of sheep there. And you know what I did in Ireland? I ate a lot of sheep. I don't know if I ate a whole one or not, but I ate quite a bit while I was there. I had Irish stew. How many have ever heard of Irish stew? Yeah, Irish stew's got big hunks of uh, lamb. And that was always something that you ate there. Now, I'll be really honest with you. That wasn't my favorite. I'd rather go with Brother George, and I'd rather have lamb chops or that that lamb on those skewers that they have in the Middle East, I think that tastes a, a lot better. But uh, bottom line is, in Ireland and Britain and places like that, they raise sheep and they eat a lot of sheep. Now, in Palestine, it was different. In Palestine, when a shepherd had a flock, they, they used their fur, their, 
wool. Are you with me? And they sold their wool. And so what they do ever so often, they take them down, they give them a haircut and they'd shear them. And then they'd take that wool and they would have it processed and whatever, and they would sell that wool. And that's how they made their money. So they would have a sheep from the time it was a little bitty lamb until it got really, really old and it died. And so they got very close to the sheep. In fact, the Bible says that the good shepherd is a shepherd that, that knows his sheep. Now, uh, there's a couple ways you can take that. First of all, we could talk about the fact that Jesus is acquainted with us. Would you agree with that? I love that Psalm 139 where the Bible talks about the Lord. And it says that the Lord, well, let me just read a couple of those verses. He says that the Lord is the one that, who basically knows my rising ups and my lying down and basically asks the question, where can I go that he's not? And he asks, Psalm 139 is a great, a great passage that tells us that God knows who we are. It, it asks this question, where is it that I could hide that God cannot see me? And the rhetorical answer to that question is, there's nowhere. God knows there's no place that God isn't. God is everywhere. And so God sees everything that I knew. God knows who I am. And he's acquainted with us. But more than being acquainted with us, that passage is basically talking about that God has a very intimate appreciation of us. Let me show you the verse. He says, verse number 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd and I know. By the way, that, that, that word there is an interesting word. If you go back in the Old Testament, I'm not going to do this. And I'll make this PG. In the scriptures, Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived and she bare a son. Chapter 4, verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 1. I could keep going with that. But that word know, there's a very intimate knowing. It actually speaks of an intimacy between a husband and a wife. Now, when the Bible says that God knows who we are, I'm going to be really honest. Is my wife in here this morning? I didn't figure she would be. Are you going to raise your hand, babe? She, sometimes she does that just to irritate the snot out of me. She'll be in here. The day I said all those things, she was in there. She heard every bit of it. Somebody asked, are you going to tell him you're in here? No. I'd rather burn his buns in the car on the way home. Is she in here? Now, let me just be really honest. I've been married to Beth for 42 years, and she's been married to me for 42. At least 40 of them have been happy. Now, that was a joke. Some of you got it. Some of you didn't. All right. Now, I can truthfully say this, and I'm not being ugly or out of place. There's things that I know about my wife that nobody else knows. And bless God, there are some things about me <laughs> that she knows. There's an intimacy there that she doesn't have with anybody else. She has it with me, and I have it with her. I know her. Come on, how many get my point? Scripture says that our Lord is not a hireling. He knows us. Are you listening? And he loves us anyway. Now, ain't that cool? That's kind of like being married to my wife. She knows me and she still loves me. That's, a good, that's an incredible thought, isn't it? 
Yeah. So the scripture says that our Lord's a good shepherd because he knows his sheep and they are known, notice this, they are known of mine. Look at John chapter 10. Go down if you would at verse 27. Look at 27. You got it? It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they do what? All right, some of you ain't looking, are you? Or else some of you ain't talking, one or the other. Let's read the verse again. Let's see if you can get the last part of the verse right. It says, my sheep, notice this, hear my voice and I know them and they what? You say, Pastor, how do you know somebody that's really saved? I'll make it real easy for you. They follow. You say, Pastor, I want to know if I'm really saved or not. Do you follow? If you don't follow, you're not. You say, Pastor, do you believe in eternal security? Yeah, for those that are really saved. And I'll tell you how I know if they're really saved or not. They follow. My sheep hear my voice and they what? That's what it says. Now let's keep going. It says, and I give unto them eternal life and they'll never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, let me help you some. The Bible says that, that, that God knows who we are intimately and we know him and he loves us. I was reading this story. Max Lucado sp spotlights this truth and very compassionate way when he compares in cowboys and cows to shepherds and sheep. Listen to what he says. He says, uh, behold the hero of the American West, the cowboy. Behold the hero of the Bible, the shepherd. On the surface he appears similar to the cowboy. He too is rugged. He sleeps where the jackal howl and works where the wolves prowl. Never off duty, always where always alert. Like the cowboy, he makes his roof the stars and the pasture his home. But that's where the similarity is in. You see, the shepherd loves the sheep. It's not that the shepherd doesn't appreciate the cow. It's just that he doesn't know the animal. He doesn't even want to. Have you ever seen a picture of a cowboy caressing a cow? Have you ever seen a shepherd with his arms around that of a sheep? Of course. Why the difference? Simple. The cowboy leads the cow to slaughter. The shepherd leads the sheep to be shorn. The cowboy wants the meat of the cow. The shepherd wants the wool of the sheep. And so they treat the animals differently. The cowboy drives the cow, cattle. The shepherd leads the sheep. The herd of cattle has dozens of cowboys. A flock has one shepherd. The cowboy wrestles, brands, herds, and ropes. The shepherd leads and guides and feeds and anoints. The cowboy knows the names of the trail hounds. The shepherd knows the names of the sheep. The cowboy hoops and hollers at the cows. The shepherd calls every sheep by name. And then he asks this question, aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't the good cowboy? Absolutely. You see, our Lord is a good shepherd. Why? Because he knows us. And by the way, he loves us. Man, if that doesn't do something for you, I just don't know what to do for you. Even though he knows me like a man knows his wife, he loves me.
Isn't that great? Let me give you a second thing. Jesus is our shepherd because he knows us and we know him. Scripture says, I know my sheep and are known of mine. You know, one of the things I found, and I'd, I'd, I'd learned this years ago, one of the great things is that when you study about shepherds, shepherds had a distinctive call that the sheep would always respond to. I read a true story this week from the days of World War I when a group of Turkish soldiers came to one of the hills near Jerusalem and they stole a flock to feed their army. And the shepherd had been asleep and when he woke up he realized what had happened and he ran to the hills and he looked down and he saw his sheep a few hills over being led by these Turkish soldiers. The situation was hopeless. The, the Turks were armed. He was outnumbered. He couldn't attack. So the shepherd did the only thing that he knew to do, that he stood on the hill and he put his hand to his mouth and he gave out the shepherd's call. The one that he always used with the sheep. And the sheep stopped and they turned and they ran across the hills to him, leaving their captors behind because they had such a relationship with him that they knew his voice. I got a shepherd that loves me. And he knows me. And he loves me anyways. And guess what? My shepherd wants me to know him and to know his voice and respond when he calls. I don't know how God does this, but he, he's got some sort of caller ID. And when he calls, I know it's him. I don't know if you're like me. I got a smartphone and it tells me who's calling. And sometimes I look at the number and say, eh, don't know him. <laughs> See, it wouldn't want to be a. <laughs> don't look at me that way. <laughs> oh, by the way, can I help you with something? This would help me immensely. When you text me, will you put your name down there at the bottom? Because you give me your phone number. I don't have time to look through the whole church directory at phone numbers trying to figure out who it was that texted me. I'm so stupid and simple-minded that you need to put your name on your text. It will save me a lot of, do you know that number, babe? <laughs> but you know the great thing about the Lord is that he, he's gave me a caller ID. When he talks to me, I know who it is. And the amazing thing is, the more I read his word and the more I pray, the more distinctive his voice gets. So when he speaks, I say, yes, sir. Because that's the shepherd. I know him. The more time I spend with him, the better I know. Are you listening? Pastor, I really don't know when God speaks to me. You haven't spent enough time with him yet. It'll happen. 
Ron Muir in his book, Surprise Endings, tells a story about a, a young man whose name was Roger Simmons. Roger Simmons was a man who recognized the voice of God. May the 7th, 1945, he was coming home. He'd been away to World War II and he was hitchhiking home. And the story was that as he made his way along, there was a man that pulled up in a Cadillac, a rich man, a wealthy man. And he pulled over, and the man asked him, he said, are you going home for keeps? And Roger said, I sure am. In fact, I can't wait to get this uniform off. Roger found out the man was on his way to Chicago and would pass right by his driveway. So as they rode along, Roger discovered that the man owned a business in Chicago. His name was Hanover. After conversing for a few moments, Roger, a Christian, one that recognized the voice of God, felt something inside speaking to him. There was a compulsion. And this compulsion said, you need to talk to this man about Christ. And so after listening to the voice of God, he decided to be obedient. So he cleared his throat. And he said, Mr. Mr. Hanover, he said, I'd like to talk to you about something that's very important. And step by step, he explained the way of salvation. Ultimately, he asked Mr. Hanover if he'd like to receive Christ as a Savior. And when he finished, Mr. Hanover pulled the Cadillac over to the side of the road Roger filled, he was, felt like he was going to be ejected from the car, but the businessman bowed his head and he prayed and he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. He thanked Roger. He said, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. Five years went by. Roger was now married. He had a two-year-old son. He had started a business of his own. And one day he packed his bags and he packed his suitcase. He was going on a business trip to Chicago and he found a little small white business card that Mr. Hanover had given him five years before. He got into Chicago and he felt compelled to look up Hanover Enterprises. And when he did, the receptionist told him it was impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. A little confused to what was going on, he was ushered into a lovely office and he found himself with a very keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her hand and said, you knew my husband. Roger said yes, and he began to tell how he had met Mr. Hanover. That day he was hitchhiking home, that day he was coming home from the war. and He said it was May the 7th. It was five years ago. I was discharged from the army, and at that time, Roger hesitated. And he wondered, he said, you know, do, should I witness to Mrs. Hanover? And he felt like there was that compulsion. Just like he felt it five years before with her husband that said, yes, talk to her about the Lord. Give her the gospel. And so he told her the whole story. He got to the point where Mr. Hanover pulled the car over, where he bowed his head and he prayed and accepted Christ as his Savior. And about that time, Mrs. Hanover exploded into sobs. Finally getting a grip on herself, she said, 
I've prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I thought he died and went to hell. My sheep hear my voice. You say, Pastor, how do you know that you're saved? I know that I'm saved because I follow him. Listen to me. I know that I'm saved because he speaks to me. I hear his voice. Jesus is a good shepherd because he loves us. (laughs) And he knows us. Jesus is a good shepherd because we know him and we hear his voice. But let me close by saying Jesus is a good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse 11. The Bible said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Look at verse 18. The Bible says, no man takes it from me, my life. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father's. You know, there are many stories of shepherds in Jesus' day that died in the process of trying to protect their flocks from wolves and lions and thieves. Jesus says, he says, hirelings won't do that. But Jesus goes on to say in our text that a true shepherd, a good shepherd, Lays down his life for his sheep. Let me show you a verse. You, you haven't, I haven't made you turn too much, have I? Some of you gripe about everything. Okay, let's turn over to, let's look at 1 Peter. I'm giving you a hard time. Look at 1 Peter. Let's see if I can find my verse real quick. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. You, will you look there just for a second? Now, some of you ain't going to turn. You're going to miss out on a blessing. I promise you, you will. This is a great verse. Look at what it says. The Bible says in verse 21, it says, And even hereunto were we called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. By the way, I'm all for a good example. How many would agree with that? But I need more than an example. I need a sacrifice. I need a substitute. Look down, if you would, to verse number two. 22, it says, he didn't sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not. He committed himself to the one that judges righteously, who with his own self bear. The word bear there in the Greek is the idea of, of, of having a weight and a burden and stooping down underneath that burden and lifting it yourself. You say, Pastor, what was the burden that you have? What was the thing that God had to stoop down and put his shoulder under? It was my sin. I couldn't bear it myself. Jesus came to this earth and he stooped down. He put his shoulder under my sin. And the scripture says, if you'll keep reading, it says, in his own body on the tree, being dead to sins that he should no longer live under, under unrighteousness, but by the stripes were healed. Folks, listen to me. Jesus, when he died, he didn't die to be a martyr. He died to be a substitute. Let me use a word that you maybe have heard. 
Jesus died a vicarious death. Vicarious death. The word vicarious has the word vicar in it. Sometimes you hear the, and erroneously so, you hear the Roman Catholic Church teach the Pope is the vicar, the agent, the registered agent of, of God. No, let me help you. Jesus was. Jesus came to this earth. It wasn't a Pope that died for me. It was Jesus Christ in his own body, in his own self. He bare my sins. Because I couldn't. My only option was to bear them myself and go to hell and pay for them forever. So Jesus came and he gave himself willingly. We live in the volunteer state. Jesus died vicariously. Jesus died voluntarily. Jesus said, nobody took it from me. He said, I gave it. And it's just because I gave it, I can pick it up again. He's talking about the resurrection. You see, the good shepherd is good because Jesus Christ didn't die as a martyr killed by men. He died as a substitute laying down his life for me and you. You know, shepherds do this for sheep because they're in danger, because they, they face predators. Jesus did this for us because of sin. Jesus says, John says it better. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And by the way, the idea is once and for all, this lamb is different than any other lamb. Usually shepherds raise lambs to be sacrifices in the temple. Jesus says, I am a shepherd that will be sacrificed for you. That's what Isaiah was talking about. Listen to these words. After what I've said, today, listen to these words. It says it like this. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He'll grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we would desire him. He's despised. He's rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces from him because he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. And yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened out his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened out his mouth. You say, Pastor, why did he do that? Because he's the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. At the end of World War II, there was a mother that went down to the dock to pick up her son from the Navy. He came in. She was there to welcome her son back home. Everyone had been taken off the ship. They began to roll the gangplank. 
some of the American boys who were greatly hurt and greatly wounded, amputees. So the mother stood there and she watched those men being wheeled down and carried down. Finally, she found her son. She ran up to him and she said, son, look, look, here's your dear old mom. Son, look at your old mother. And the boy said, mom, I can't see you. My eyes are gone. And she said, son, can you stand up and greet your old mother? And he replied, no, mama. My feet are gone. She knelt down by his side and said, well, then son, would you just put your arms around me and would you love your dear old mother? And he lifted up a step. And he said, mama, that's all I have left. The mother burst into a lament. She said, oh, son, this terrible war. You've lost your eyes. You've lost your feet. You've lost your arms. And the boy proudly sat up, and he straightened up in his wheelchair, and he said, no, mama. I gave them away. I didn't lose them. Oh, let me tell you something. Jesus gave it away. It's because he's the good shepherd. Man, aren't you glad you're saved? I cannot believe that. He knows me. And he still loves me. He knows me and he allows me to know him. And he speaks to me. And if that's not good enough, he laid down his life for me. What a good shepherd we have. Isn't that great? I've preached myself right into conviction, and I tell you what, that's pretty good when the preacher can preach himself. Isn't it great being saved? Lord, we're thankful today. We don't deserve it. We're the rottenest sheep you've ever had. We're dirty, we're defenseless, we're stupid, we're stubborn, but you love us, even though you know us. Not only do you know us, Lord, you let us follow you, you call us, and we hear you, we know you, and you love us so much that you died for us. We're so grateful. What child is this? <laughs> I'm the good shepherd. Thank you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Are you sure today that you're saved?